Hi, I'm Dr. Gemma Newman, also known as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for the Wellness Edit with Holland and Barrett. In today's episode, I'm really thrilled to be joined by the incredible Rachel Ammer. She is a rising star in the London vegan scene, and she has an incredible YouTube channel and a brand new book, One Pot, Three Ways. In this episode, she shares her passion for vegan living, her opinion that living a healthy life is synonymous with living a compassionate life, and she shares some of her secrets to plant-based living. I can't wait to dive in. Rachel, it is so good to have you with me today. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's amazing to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, now, I've been a big fan for a long time, but you know, in case people don't know, you have been massively passionate about vegan living for quite some time. Let's just sort of dive right in and share with everybody how this all started for you. Like, where did this all begin? That is so hard for me to say because I'm like, what chapter do we start on? Because there's so many chapters of life, right? Um, well, I was born. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At eight months old, I was. No. Um, I went vegan about, I think it was about six, seven years ago now, um, because I watched how the food that I was used to eating end up, how it ended up on my plate. And in that moment, I just, I was kind of shocked because I'm like a city London girl and I just never seen the behind the scenes, as it were. And, um, I just made a choice to live differently. And the next day I went vegan. And then from that, I just, I wanted to make sure my food was so delicious because my, I was so determined on the journey for ethical reasons. I was like, well, you got to make it delicious so that you stick with it. So it became like this, a hobby of making food that I already loved from my my Caribbean roots to food I've had on holiday, traveling, down the road, anywhere, anything I'm like, oh my, oh yeah, I need that in my life right now, but it's not vegan. Let me make a vegan version of it. And that kind of sparked me just cooking and cooking and tasting and recipe testing and kind of changing the misconception that at the time I didn't understand veganism or vegetarianism really because I was never around it. It was never part of like my family or social Um, interactions I had with people so it was quite like a jump from one extreme to the other that all my friends were still thought that being vegan meant all you ate was a celery stick and I had to tell them no (laughs) actually I can eat all this amazing stuff too (laughs) you know what that's why we need people like you trailblazers who decide you know what I've made a choice this is how I'm going to eat and live but I want to make this absolutely delicious and I want to make sure that nobody feels like they're missing out yeah that's, I think that's one of the main it. things. Yeah. Especially when it comes to different kinds of cuisine. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes when it comes to UK cuisine, you know, most people um, are kind of used to like meat and two veg, yeah. right? But then when it comes to opening up the palate and trying like Caribbean foods, um, African foods, Mexican foods, Asian foods, like, do you think that veganism has opened that up for certain populations of people or do you feel as though actually it's a barrier because people still feel like they want to eat comfort foods from when they were young and they find it hard to make that that transition I think it's a little bit of both I think in some respect the world has gotten a bit smaller because it's so kind of global 
that we can see and learn all different types of food and cooking without actually having to go to a country. I mean, I would rather go to a country. <laughs> I think we all would. <laughs> we would all rather, but you can go on YouTube. You can go to a restaurant run by a family from another country and you can learn about new food. And I think there's an excitement when you go vegan and you're like, oh my goodness, what do I eat? To then try all these different palettes and taste all these different spices and mixes and ways of cooking food but at the same token there is that heart and soul that wants what you ate when you was a kid for example I I had a podcast and they asked me what I remember eating as a kid and for some <laughs> reason I ate Thomas lot and bit of bread no, I don't know how many kids really just eat Tom's out and put bread, but I was one of them. And that's probably, I was too. Oh, you was too. Okay, good to know because everyone looks at me like I'm crazy and I kind of do go, Rachel, that is such a weird request. But um, <laughs> that is something I can't actually make. But there are so many foods. My grandma from St. Lucia used to make these fish cakes. Um, she was known for making the best ones. And in my book, I put like a vegan version. So there's like this funness of getting that emotional connection between something you ate when you were younger, that comfort food, and then in a vegan way. So I feel like there's that both that explorative taste bud and that home comfort of spaghetti bolognese just in a vegan way. And I think there's yeah. a, a nice balance between them. Yeah, I really agree. And, you know, if and when you do perfect your taramasalata, yeah. be sure to let me know because <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have that again. <laughs> I'll work on it. <laughs> yeah, please do. But so you mentioned having the fish cakes. Is that in your first book, Rachel Ammer's Vegan Eats? Yeah, or is it that... is. It's one Brilliant. I, I was always making for people because that, that was definitely like a home comfort to me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so important. And I, I feel the same way when I wrote my book. I really wanted to give people recipes that would make them feel they were having familiar foods, comfort foods, foods that didn't feel as though you were depriving yourself. You were actually really enjoying something that filled you up and felt like something that you might have had when you were a little bit younger. So yeah. I really do resonate with that. And what I love as well about your um, cooking is that you're bringing more Caribbean like flavors into people's lives who would not have actually otherwise been exposed to it and yeah. it's very special the the cuisine that you that you cook and that you share um did you find it a difficult transition to make a traditional kind of caribbean type cuisine vegan or was it, did it come not. naturally it's so easy that i think i i think there's like it's it's quite complicated to me because i find it really fascinating that when my grandma's generation came from the Caribbean to London, um, the kind of foods that they, my grandma would make and her friends and everyone, my aunties, my uncles, always like jerk chicken, curry mutton, oxtail, just all these different meat-heavy dishes. But when you actually take a step back, because mainly because meat is so accessible in the UK and it's so cheap, but if you take a step back and you go to the Caribbean and you see like more of a, a lifestyle living, the meat was mainly a celebratory dish on a Sunday that you would give to your family. It wasn't necessarily something you ate every day, breakfast, lunch and dinner. It's just the mass production of meat and how things have, have turned. So there's Caribbean cooking, a lot of the flavours and the spices, they, they work so well with vegetables that it was really, really easy even just the the scotch bonnet pepper, anything with a scotch bonnet pepper to me just, it like pulls on my heartstrings. Like it's like an immediate 
big hug to me and I'm like ah I love it and you can put all those flavors and cook them up with aubergines grill them oyster mushrooms you can even do mock meats from the supermarket there's a lot of fun you can have with grilling and cooking um, Caribbean spices and I've found it amazing and fun and I know a lot of other friends of mine who've got Caribbean heritage do as well now and it's is beautiful and I think it's loved and I think that's why a lot of people kind of who had Caribbean heritage when they saw me making vegan versions of food it really just excited people because they wanted that that food they knew when they grew up that smell from the kitchen that their mum used to bring and now they can bring it in a plant-based way and it's it's really exciting. It is. It is exciting. And I'm, I'm really glad that, that people can buy your book and watch your YouTube channel and get inspired. And I thought it was fascinating when you said, actually, harking back to your grandmother's generation and how people were actually living in the Caribbean, where they were eating mostly plants anyway. And that really fits in with the Blue Zones research done by Dan Butner from the National Geographic, where you look at the most healthy populations of people from around the globe. And the people who have the highest longevity sort of living to or near the age of about 100. And they all have a very similar story where they essentially eat whole foods, plant-based, 90, 95% of the time. And then when they had a meat dish, it might be for a celebration, a wedding, um, maybe you know five times a month at most, they might have a meat dish and the rest of it would be vegetable-based. And so that really fascinates me because as you say, there's an awful lot of availability of cheap meats nowadays. And, you know, we know that there's a lot of data to suggest that the more animal protein and saturated fat we eat, the higher the risk of certain long-term diseases that we face. And it's nice to be able to bring the message of plants through a traditional lens as well, like through mm-hmm. a lens of what our grandparents may have eaten, because I'm sure it would be very similar for war generation um, people living in the UK, especially with rationing. Yeah. Like they may have had maybe like one egg or one rasher of bacon a week, and then the rest of it they had to figure out, oh, what am I going to make with all these vegetables? Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely it. It's like even my grandma on my other side of my family, she's from Wales and she grew up on a farm and she would always tell me about like, we just grew carrots. <laughs> we had lots and lots of carrots and potatoes. Um, yeah, so that is really interesting as well. So did you find any cooking inspiration from Wales in that case? Or was it all from sort of Caribbean, St. Lucia? I feel like I've let my grandma down on that respect. But at the same token, it's kind of like, well, you didn't you didn't cook a bunch of Welsh dishes for me to then draw inspiration from. So I'm not going to take the blame on that one. <laughs> she hasn't even mean, made me a Welsh cake. So I was going to say, where are the Welsh cakes? <laughs> um so yeah it's it's heavily Caribbean and and African inspired I think that's wonderful going to other things I know that we've talked a little bit about your passion for food and for helping people to make delicious plant-based meals my understanding is that exercise is really important to you dancing as well um you know from a young age you played football boxing how do you do you still incorporate movement into your day now um and if so how I find movement so not like it's just part of me and I love it for example I think after being pregnant when I was everything was closed I couldn't really go outside I couldn't go to the gym and do like baby 
pregnancy yoga and things. So I just, I lost a lot of muscles and my body completely changed, obviously. And then I gave birth and then you recover. And then I started trying to work out again. And it it was really, really, really hard. (laughs) Um, As it's supposed to be after all of that. But I feel so incredibly, so much better right now, just being able to build back some of my strength and my muscles that I walk differently. And this has been like the biggest reminder to me of how important staying active and doing movement is because my posture was slightly folding over as it naturally would. And now I just, I walk with a confidence of just feeling stronger in each step I take. If I need to pick something up, if I need to quickly jog to the car, every movement I make now that I have built back a bit of strength from working out is so much easier that it's, it's just a really nice thing to kind of realize and recognize. Hmm. That sounds great. So, so I mean, as you say, it can take a while from being pregnant and giving birth to feel like you're at a stage where you can yeah. push your body in, in a way. So did you, did you kind of take it slow and uh, just sort of start at home? How did you, how did yeah, you kind of I, I took get it, back I into took it? I took it really slow. I, I, I hate injuries. <laughs> I really do. And I just wanted to slow, slowly get back into it. So I, I started off with obviously making sure my abs were back together and they were healed. And I, do little exercises at home. And then I would start by training once a week. And then I went to twice a week. And it just was starting baby steps until I got some muscle back and built some strength. Nothing too crazy, just to feel strong again. Um, yeah. Yeah. To feel strong and to feel, well, I suppose as you did before, like able to stand tall, be confident, yeah. your posture was different. Um how is it i mean i think for everybody uh, without exception motherhood is an incredible transition right yeah going from not having a tiny human to look after to suddenly having one that needs you 24 hours a day seven days a week yes <laughs> um how, how has that been for you tell us a little bit about all of that and new motherhood it is so crazy it is like I I feel like I sound so cringe when I say it, but it feels very natural and instinctual for me to transition into, um, I just feel like I'm supposed to be nurturing little souls. But at the same time, it's so hard explaining. Like if if a mum told me I'm tired, I haven't slept, I never really understood what that meant until now. And I'm like, oh, this is what you mean. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and like, just like, I, I, when I say to my friends, like, I can't just go and shower. I can't do that. I have to find someone to say, can you watch my son so I can go and have a shower? But just the sim- brushing my teeth, I brush my teeth with a baby in my arm, you know? And this is motherhood that you. I didn't really know much about it until I joined it. It's it's such a it's so it's so different, but I genuinely love it. But it's just an adjustment of oh, I would love to just go and have a shower. Oh, I'd love to just go and get my nails done and feel cute. Or I would just love, but no, not yet because yeah. you need to look after your baby. <laughs> It really resonates with me what you said about the shower situation. Yeah. <laughs> <Because> I, <laughs> when I first had my first son, um, 
I remember it was a few days and I was at home and I actually had the first chance to have a yeah. shower. Yeah. And I, I stood there and I let the water run over my face and I just thought, oh, I am alone. I am here by myself having a shower. This feels so nice. <laughs> Honestly, the shower to me is a whole <laughs> new world now. When I have a shower, I'm like, oh, that was amazing. <laughs> It's a lesson in appreciating the little things in life. It is. As I suppose as has this, you know, the pandemic situation in 2020 and yeah. continuing now is to think actually find those moments of joy, find those moments of connection with yourself. Um, and life feels that little bit easier, doesn't it? Definitely. So we talked a little bit about your Caribbean inspiration um, and also why you decided to go vegan. And I'm really interested about this because a lot of people find it difficult to change their routines, to think of new recipes. It all seems a bit daunting, but you're the kind of person that literally decided one day you weren't, the next day you were, and that yeah. was it. Yeah. I, I find that really interesting. Was it because you made an emotional connection with this lifestyle change that you just, you couldn't stomach the idea of not doing it? Or was there something else going on for you? Are you generally somebody that's kind of like an all or nothing person? Like how did it, how did it sort of come about for you? I am a little bit impulsive. <laughs> when I make a decision, I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm doing. Um, but equally, I think what I explain to people that I cut out dairy um, because I'm deeply lactose intolerant. So years before that, I'd had a bunch of health issues and I couldn't, I couldn't figure them out and the doctors couldn't figure them out but because my mum studied nutrition she was just kind of keeping an eye on me from a distance and then she kind of decided what she think was wrong and she just said to me Rachel I just think you're lactose intolerant and that broke my heart because I love my cheese toasties and hot chocolates and all that stuff but I was I'd had so much pain that I really wanted just to find the answer so I did process of elimination and I just said okay I'm just going to cut out dairy and at that time there wasn't a bunch of different plant-based milks and all like the there wasn't a bunch of vegan options it was really difficult at that time to cut out dairy and um I did and I felt insanely better and within a year all the health problems I had just dissipated and I was like wow I feel incredible and that solved it so when I went vegan, I'd already cut out dairy, so I wasn't addicted to my cheese toasties, which I think made it a little bit easier for me because I was just cutting out meat, fish, and eggs. Um, and when I did that, it was literally just... I just love animals, and I'd had pets, and I, I in in my head, because I've just... I don't like um, injustice, as it were. I would see my dogs and my cats and then I saw the chickens and I said why in my head why do I treat the chicken and the dog differently and to me mm. it just didn't make sense so it was a very strong comparison that I didn't like for myself so it was very like I don't want to I just don't want to be a part of it I don't want to be a part of it so I'm just going to make it delicious and that just drove the force of making delicious food and then when I was eating all of these plant-based foods I felt even better. So it felt like a rite of passage for my body. I felt better. Consciously, I felt better. I love the food. I'm enjoying this way of life and I just want to continue. 
It's beautiful. It's really lovely to hear more about how it happened. And I find it interesting that you mentioned the likely lactose intolerance. You know, the vast majority of the world's population is in fact lactose intolerant. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely something to think about um, if, you know, if you um, are having sort of ongoing digestive issues. Um, and how fascinating that your mum studied nutrition. Yeah. Um, do you think that was a part of your journey as well? Your mum's, she must have had some passion for food, I guess, as well as part of that. Yeah, so she wanted to raise me and my brother vegetarian, but at the time it it seemed so like, what are you doing? Do you want your kids to survive? So she was kind of put off it by what everyone was saying. But she'd always been very curious about more like nutritious food. And before like the superfoods were in mainstream, she would have them. I used to call her, them her potions. Really? Like, what all these potions, all these seeds, and I used to call them rabbit food, everything. So like as a very young teenager, I was kind of taking the mick out of her, but appreciating it. And then I turned around and I was like, then using all the things my mum taught me that I was kind of taking the mick out of her for, but was consciously listening to it at the same time. I was then like using all these foods and I think it made it easier because I knew how I'd get my amigas if I was on a plant-based diet and I knew all these different foods so I think my mum massively helped me and after I made the change she was actually really proud of me and excited she was like oh this is really exciting and she then ended up joining me because she wasn't vegan before either and um it's just been a really nice I don't know home environment where I she loves my food and it stays true to how she feels about nutrition and food and she just gets to eat all my food and it makes her happy <laughs> That's great. Does she live with you? Yeah, I live with my mum. Oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah. so good that you're that close. Um, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I think it's a lesson for parents, maybe, that even when your children are taking the mickey or yes. seem like they're not really listening, actually, they are. <laughs> they're taking it all in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, I mean, I um, have enjoyed looking through your first book, uh, Rachel Ammer's Vegan Eats. I know that you have a new book coming out, One Pot, Three Ways. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about your new book. It was more about how I cook being vegan. I got asked so many questions when I did the first book, how do you do it every day? And it's because I just changed the way I cooked at home. We're all so busy. I wanted this book to help people who live these busy lives to have nutritious, delicious vegan dinners for the next couple of days. And the way I do that is I make a big pot of something. Um, I should give an example, really. I say I've made a big pot of a curry, Caribbean curry, and I make enough that I have leftovers. I have it one night. Then the next day I can have it the same way with the leftovers or I can add a few little spices, a few little fresh herbs, some different dressings, a little addition to switch it up. That doesn't take any time. And then I have another meal and then I come home from work the next day and I've still got my leftovers and I can eat that again. So really it was just making food that you make enough to have leftovers and you can refresh them and level them up and have them the next day. So you don't have to come home from work and go, ugh. What am I going to make? 
And that was kind of the concept. And also I did feel like how we learned how to cook before, how I learned how to cook was you have this like meat dish, whether it's like a roast chicken, and you're going to use that the next day to start your next meal. And then the next day to do your next meal. That's how I ate at home to save time. It was always that big centerpiece of meat. And then you use it over the next couple of days. And I said, well, let's make the centerpiece a delicious vegan dish. And then you can use that for the next couple of days. Makes a lot of sense. And <laughs> so, so, so literally you make one pot of food and then you can make three meals out of it, essentially. Exactly. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it makes life so much easier, doesn't it? And that's, I think that's one of the, the keys to making cooking easy is to, to put the time aside, you know, maybe on a Sunday or something. And then you've got food for Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, maybe cook again Wednesday, you've got food for Thursday, Friday. It, uh, it just takes the thinking out of it, which is great. Yeah. Good, lovely. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the recipes that we can look forward to? Oh, this has been one of the the best things about the last couple months is all the food I've been making because <laughs> oh, it's been wonderful. They're all easy as in you can make them in a pot, but they're all really, really flavorful and delicious new recipes, um, varying in levels. And there's also feast spreads. Ah, okay, let me think of mine. I have like a peri-peri one where it's, can I can I say my recipes? Am I allowed to say my recipes? Of course you are. You're not giving you're not you're not giving us the all of the ingredients and the methods. No. Okay. So it's like a peri peri feast, all made on a pot, and then you just put it in the oven. It's all ready. It comes out. It's hot. It's crispy. It's got sweet pineapples in it. And oh, then I've got my some, mouth's watering. Yeah, you can just add some roasted potatoes to it one day. You can add it into a pita with avocados and salad dressings and all that delicious stuff and it's just like having these big pots big a big flavorful mess well I don't want to call it a mess a big flavorful delicious pot of food <laughs> and then you're good for the next couple of days I really want to try that now thank you for it's delicious <laughs> wetting, wetting my appetite maybe I should just come over and have it at yours <laughs> oh so what else are you up to I know that you know you're you're your YouTube and your cooking books, they're all around food. Have you got anything exciting coming up that you'd like to share with us that you're that you're getting involved in? Really, it's just my my book and what I'm doing around that really and trying to help people find it easier to have whole plant-based foods and meals every day and it become yeah. more of a norm. So that a lot of content around that and videos to help people find it easier to have a plant-based diet. Would you have any advice for anybody who wanted to try and do what you're doing um, as to how to get started? As in sharing recipes? Yeah, just how did you go from getting passionate about plant-based foods to having an incredible best-selling cookbook, a really successful YouTube channel and another book on the way, Thank as well as being you. a new mum. Like, <laughs> Thank you. Have you got, yeah, you're welcome. It's important to recognise all of these incredible things you've been doing. Is there a formula that you, that you think that you've followed that has led you to some of these successes or has it just been luck? I don't think it ever is just luck. I think there's always a lot of hard work, but is there anything that you think's really helped you along the way? I think what is the biggest driving force in it is just my passion for it. I really believe in 
plant-based eating and what it can do for your health and the environment and the animals that the message is so strong that while I work really, really hard, it has such a deep purpose in my heart that it the the work is hard, but the passion and purpose is strong. So it's like yes. a, a nice balance. And I also feel like when you make your passion and purpose your career, you have to, well, for me, you have to be quite um, fluid with it. So you work hard and it, and it takes you where it takes you and you, you just put in the hours, you put in the work, you follow your heart. And the more and more you're consistent with it, you'll start seeing the doors open and align for you and your passage and path will follow. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank hard you. work, but passion and purpose is yeah. strong. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and in your journey, I mean, obviously everybody has their ups and downs in life. Has there been anything that you've learned from any challenges that you face that has helped you have this kind of philosophy? Challenges. I mean, everyone's got challenges. <laughs> we do. We all do. We're all human. I think I'm ultimately trying to learn balance myself. Mm. I think um, new motherhood and writing a cookbook was definitely up there in the uh, challenge box of exhaustion and tiredness, but purpose um so I think what I'm learning in all of it is is finding balance before before pregnancy and before everything I was running on a bit of a little bit of a burnout and yeah. it's about reserving those two days a week to yourself and making sure you give yourself time to breathe and that's what I'm working on very good <laughs> so hard work Follow your passion and purpose and give yourself time to breathe. Exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. I've really, really enjoyed this chat with you, learning more about your work and your passion and ultimately helping people along the way to lead a more compassionate and healthy life. So thank you so very much. Thank you so much for having me today. It's actually been so nice talking to you. So thank you. <laughs> you're welcome and let's hope we can do it again sometime and hear more about your next book uh one pot three ways when it comes out when does it come out this august well everybody keep your eyes peeled and uh, look out for rachel's work online as well thank you all right thanks very much Thank you so much for joining me today. I really hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. What really shone through for me was seeing Rachel's passion for her message and helping people to enjoy nourishing food that tastes delicious and comforting too. Remember to check out all previous episodes of the Wellness Edit on the Holland & Barrett website, hollandandbarrett.com, or of course on your favourite podcast platform. And you can join me again next week where we'll be talking to another incredible guest about how to include wellness into your day-to-day -day life. All views and experiences talked about on this podcast are those of our guests and do not reflect the views of Holland and Barrett.